Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller, and I hope you're having a great November so far. We're here at the early part of the month, and already here in New England, the temperatures are on the decline. We've got some hard freezes in our schedule this week, including one on Friday night when I'm supposed to go camping with my son and the scout troop. So that should be an interesting experience uh, out there in the cold with the scouts. I want to thank you guys for tuning in again this week. For those of you who don't know, we have a Facebook group, the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast Facebook group, and we'd love for you to join us there. Uh, Many of our guests are in that group where you can ask follow-up questions and connect with some of your peers. If you have any thoughts that you want to share about the episodes or the content in them, ask any questions that you want. Elevate Orthodontics Podcast on Facebook. This week, we have a special guest, Dr. Chris Phelps. He's a general dentist practicing in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Dr. Phelps is a Cialdini certified trainer. He's an expert on the materials of influence and persuasion and understanding how people make decisions uh, to move forward specifically with treatment in a dental or orthodontic office. And we'll discuss Dr. Cialdini's six principles of influence and persuasion and how they might apply in your practice. This is a great interview. We've managed to pack a lot of content into a short interview. So I think this is one you can listen to and probably listen to again because it's pretty dense with material. I really think you're going to enjoy this interview. Seeing as how we're here at the end of the year, I want to do a short series on some year-end planning and goal-setting for the new year, and today I want us to talk a little bit about setting your fees in your orthodontic practice. When we look at growing our practices, about increasing the top-line number, that production number for 2018, there's really two ways in which we can do that. One, of course, is we can start more patients, and the second is that we can increase the fee that we charge each patient for their treatment. When we look at our expenses, which we are going to talk about as well, we have to understand that many of them are going up. The cost for our teams are increasing, the cost of our rents, our utilities, our supplies that we get from orthodontic products. And so it's important for us to increase our fees in a proportionate amount so that we can deliver the same service, the same quality of service to our patients for the same overhead uh, as we've done in the past. So I would encourage you this time of year to print out a copy of your fee schedule, to sit down with your treatment coordinator and your financial coordinator, to go through each of your fees and to discuss them, to understand What are the fees that are making sense for you? What are the fees that need to be raised? Are there any that need to be lowered? Maybe you're charging too much for a replacement retainer, for instance, you know, or uh, you're charging a records fee when many of your competitors aren't doing that. These are the things we want to examine this sort of year and just make sure that we all feel confident in the fees that we have going forward so that when we present treatment, when people call with questions, uh, that we, everyone on the team feels very confident and about the fees that we have so we can focus on other parts of uh, running our practice. And as you review your fees this year, I want you to focus on three things. The first is, 
Where do you fall in relationship to your nearby colleagues or competitors uh, with regards to fee? Are you a higher fee option? Are you a lower fee option? Do you fall somewhere in the middle? I think there's room for any of these to work, but I do think it's important for you to understand where you sit in relationship to the general marketplace so that as you're discussing uh, treatment with families, that you can have an accurate perception of how they are viewing your practice and where you fall in the marketplace. So that's one thing to be aware of. The second is to take a close look on how you set your fees with regard to treatment time. And this is kind of a tricky thing because as orthodontists, we always want to invest in the latest and greatest in terms of technology, in terms of continuing education, uh, to improve our treatment outcomes and our treatment times. But as we make some of these investments, a lot of times the result, in fact, probably our goal in in this is to reduce the treatment time uh, for our patients. But as we're doing that, does that mean that we then quote them a lower fee? Is our fee schedule set the where we quote fees based on estimated treatment time? And that's where it becomes a little bit more murky. For those old enough to remember when you used to go take your film to get developed at the store, you could get your film developed in one hour or you could get it developed in 24 hours. And of course, it costs more to get that developed in an hour. Uh, similarly, when you order off Amazon and you get that next day or two day shipping, of course, that costs more money than if you wait to have it shipped out at a later date. So I think there's part of us that understands that as uh, the convenience, the time goes down, the value increases. But sometimes when we set up our fee schedules, uh, we are quoting lower fees for lower treatment times. So I think in terms of our practice, when we make those investments, perhaps that shouldn't decrease the fee. And perhaps you could argue if you're doing something like Propel or Accelident or one of these advanced modalities, you're going to definitely upcharge for those services. So that's how it applies in our practice. But then when we look more globally, when we look at the industry as a whole, certainly we hope that as we improve collectively and as perhaps other competitive forces are impacting us, that perhaps we are able to offer Uh, the consumer a lower fee, higher quality, shorter duration treatment. So we have to understand those two factors are playing, how this plays out in our practice individually versus what the marketplace is dictating and set our fees accordingly. The third thing that I want you to pay attention to as you set your fees is to be careful with your phase one and phase two fees. So take your comprehensive fee and then take your phase one and phase two fees and, and look at those closely together. I think most consultants would recommend that your phase one plus phase two fee be 125 to even 135% of your comprehensive fee. Look at the number of visits that you're doing for phase one. Look at the number of visits for phase two. Compare that to the number of visits that you use for comprehensive treatment and really be fair to yourself and to your team in terms of what resources you devote to that. And I think you'll find that uh, 125 to 135% is a pretty generous uh, discount that you're giving to your patients for the amount of work that they're doing. So those are some thoughts uh, to get you started on analyzing your fee schedule. We'll talk a little bit more about some other year-end planning and goal setting uh, in some future episodes, but I'm excited to get on to this interview with Dr. Phelps. Let's do this. Dr. Chris Phelps is a general dentist practicing outside Charlotte, North Carolina. He graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill with a bachelor's degree in biology and then completed his dental training at Nova Southeastern University College of Dental Medicine in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He grew his first practice from $600,000 to $6.5 million and four locations over a six-year period. He then sold two of those offices for profit and over the next three years grew the two offices remaining 
from a combined revenue of 1.6 million to 6.1 million. One of his secrets was developing a state-of-the-art call tracking system and ROI analysis. By using this system, he was able to cut his marketing expenses from $36,000 a month to $9,000 a month, and his new patients rose from 60 a month to over 300 per month. Another of Dr. Phelps' secrets was learning the science of influence and becoming a Cialdini Method Certified Trainer. Mastering Dr. Cialdini's six principles of ethical influence and persuasion, he discovered ways to utilize them in his practices to decrease no-shows, increase referrals, and increase case acceptance to new levels. Dr. Phelps, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm excited you're here. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about our, our friend, Dr. Peter Bowman, who I want to give a shout out to, who, who kind of introduced us. Uh, he's up in my neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah. We did a private uh, two-day persuasion training for him and his team, and a couple other docs and their teams came over from uh, New York and, and Boston. So yeah, we okay. kind of made a little weekend of it. Good, good. Okay, well, that, that's where I am. So you're kind of familiar with, with things up here. And, yeah. And you're a Tar Heel. We, we talked heels. also a little <laughs> bit about uh, this week, our, our point guard who punched a, a door after losing a video game. So his, so his hand is broken here. Are you, you follow the team closely or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Big fan. And, uh, you know, I think it is by state law, by the, in North Carolina, by age eight, you have to pick a side. You're either Carolina <laughs> or Duke. So <laughs> exactly. I've always, always been Carolina. So <laughs> Good, good, good. All right. Well, I'm, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast uh, to talk about Dr. Uh, Robert Cialdini's Principles of Persuasion. Uh, mm -hmm. His book is one of my all-time favorites. So when I found out there was a dentist who has really mastered this material, I, I was thrilled. Uh, what was your introduction to these principles and what drew you to them? Yeah, well, they say uh, necessity is the mother of invention, and uh, when the student is ready, the master will appear, <laughs> and yeah. that, that that pretty much sums it up. And so I had you know, just sold my two best offices, the one that had a lot of profit involved, uh, high revenue, low expense, and I, I took over uh, the two lowest producing offices that had the highest debt, um, one of which was a cold start office collecting 35000 a month, yet I found myself writing checks for 70000 a month in expense. And you don't have to be a math major at Chapel Hill to realize that uh, that's not a good deal, <laughs> especially yeah. the more months that adds up. And when I had three other offices to share that expense, it was an investment. And when it's just one other office, suddenly it's a problem, you know. And so I knew for me, a lot of it, my problems were on the telephone. Uh, and, you know, I'm kind of person, I don't go looking for a problem, but when I find one, I can't shake it until I figure it out. So I said about discovering what's going on. Why aren't we getting more new patients in the door for this 36000 a month I'm spending? Because we were only seeing 60 people, 30 at one office and 30 at the other. Uh, out of that necessity, my call tracker program, call tracker ROI, got birthed. And I got the data I needed to make smarter decisions faster. And that's how I cut the marketing 74% uh, and got the new patient numbers up to 300 a month. The problem was, the next challenge was that you can get all the people in the door that you want, but if they don't come back for treatment, it's still a wasted marketing expense. Right. Sure. Um, and so it was right around that time also that I heard Dr. Cialdini speak for the first time at a conference I was at. Uh, he was the keynote speaker and I heard him talk about these six principles. And there was one in particular that for me was just like a, a light bulb went off. I was like, oh, my God, that is the root cause to the majority of the problems going on in my practice right now. So this guy obviously figured it out. I got to go to the source and learn. Um, and so that's what I did. And I went out to one of their, they do one workshop a year on the hottest time of the year in Phoenix, Arizona in July. <laughs> it's like a, 130 outside, but let's have a conference, you know? 
And yeah. uh, it's an open pop, so they really try to teach you the more of the science behind it and leave it up to you to figure out what to do with it. You know, it's a great sure. concept, but how do we put it into practice? And it was at that meeting that I found out they had certified trainers, and uh, I was like, oh, well, I got I want to keep the ball rolling. I got to take it to the next level. And was fortunate enough to get chosen. And uh, as part of my final test, about a year later, you'll, you'll probably like this. You know, I had to give part of the presentation back to Dr. Cialdini himself. Oh, boy. So, so in essence, you know, I had to sing karaoke uh, of a song back to the original artist. And I was graded on how well I sang their song. <laughs> so no pressure, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the science here. I mean, I think that's a little bit different with this material versus some of the other kind of practice development material that's out there. Um, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about how Dr. Chaldini developed this, uh, this information. Yeah, well, it came about through his research, and he was very curious at what did the most successful businesses out there, what do they use or, or how, what tools or how are they setting the stage for a yes to their request? How are they getting us to say yes to buy their product or service or what have you? So he literally went out into the field as a researcher but pretended to be a potential employee for all these different companies from door-to-door sales to uh, used cars and new cars to high-end ad agencies in New York and L.A., he even interviewed cult church leaders to try to find out what they use and how they influence people, um, both in good ways and unethical ways as well. And what he found was a pattern. He saw these six things that kept standing out that everybody was tapping into in some way, shape, or form. And that's what he went and did his research on to find out, do these things, are, is there really something here, not just what he sees as a pattern? And what makes them tick? You know, what, what, what ramps them up, if you will, as well? Um, so that's what his first book, Influence of Science and Practice, was on those six key principles he discovered uh, and, and data that validifies their presence and, and the power of them when involved in a situation, uh, which is kind of cool. So, And then, of course, yeah. what I've been trying to do these last few years is figure out, well, these are great concepts, but how do I put them into my practice? What do I do with it? You know, what are some systems I can build around it to, to set the stage for the behavior that I'd like to see from, from my patients? So. From getting them to show up to you know paying their bill on time to uh, saying yes to more treatment options or some treatment option if it's in their better you know best interest too and in, in ours uh, you have what you know get more referrals all the stuff we needed all the stuff I needed so yeah cool well I, I'm excited to talk about that there seems like you know just before we get into the material kind of to be two almost hyperbolic objections to this sort of material Chris on on, on the one extreme we've got people saying. Oh, this is unethical manipulation of your patients. And then kind of on the other extreme, you have people saying, Oh, this is kind of psychobabble and you're, you're wasting your time with this. So, so either it works too well or, or it doesn't work at all. And, and kind of what would, what would you respond to those people? Well, definitely for the people who think it's, it's unethical because we're, we're manipulating, we're tricking people. Uh, the truth is the way I'm teaching it and the way we're talking about it is we're not. Okay. That's the first thing to understand. And, and how you know is by definition. Because when people hear the word persuasion and influence, they sometimes they get that negative connotation to it. Uh, like, well, you know, I don't want to trick somebody. Uh, but what they're really talking about is not persuasion and influence. They're talking about coercion or intimidation or, you know, hierarchical authority. Your boss telling you, you got to do this or someone in authority telling you, you have to do this. In essence, all of those things have one thing in common. You don't have a choice or at least you don't perceive right. that you have a choice. Right. Um, the difference with the influence is, is this, by definition, it's when you receive a message in some way, shape, or form. So you hear it, you see it, what have you, and it itself, the message changes the way you think internally. 
Not that someone is forcing you to do something. It changes the way you think internally. And then therefore your behavior changes as a result of the way you change, you change your thoughts. And that's it. So yeah. it's all about giving people choices and, and, and understanding what are the things they use to really make decisions. So that's what I would tell people who think it's unethical. Number one, yeah, people can use these things or attempt to use these things in an unethical way against us. But what we're recommending, because ethics can be subjective sometimes, are some objective criteria to keep us safe. And again, it's about the intent of the person, right? So if I know that I'm bringing stuff up and, and tapping into things in the moment that are that are true, I'm not lying to people. Okay, so we got to start with the truth. Number one, and number two, I'm not setting the stuff. I'm not uh, creating or contriving these things. You know, if you will, um, they're natural to the situation. These are things right there available to us. We could tap into. We just don't recognize that we can or how to tap into them. But they're sitting there right there in front of us anyway. Okay. So then again, they're not made up or staged into the situation. And again, if it's a betterment for, if it's a net win-win for both sides and it's in both of our best interest to move forward with this, yes, in this, in this case, why wouldn't we do it? Right? And, right. and the truth is, if, if studies show that if people really knew what we as clinicians knew, that it was going to cost them more time, effort, money, pain, whatever, by waiting down the road, most people would prefer to reprioritize and make it a priority in their life today. So in essence, going back to the other people who think it's psychobabble, uh, <laughs> this is how 90% of the people make their decisions 90% of the day. Okay. Most of the time people are on automatic pilot when they're making their decisions. They're not using logical thought or reason or emotion to make that decision. They're on automatic pilot. Okay, they're looking for these influence factors to give them like little shortcuts, little cues and triggers. And the reason they're so powerful is because our brain is just overloaded with data. It's sensory overload, you know, between all the marketing messages we get a year, like over a million. I mean, that's like 3,000 a day of things we're exposed to. Plus, think about how many decisions you got to make on a daily basis. How many tasks are on your plate to get done? A thousand, two thousand, ten thousand. And then you go home and there's another ten thousand. Right. So yeah. our, we are literally our brain can't handle it all. So it blocks most of it out. Uh, and it's looking for these things to guide us on where we should go, because and this is why one of the reasons why they're so powerful. They're the fundamental building blocks of society. <laughs> this is how society is formed and, and work. Uh, and also, usually when these things are present and they influence us to say, yes, it's a good thing for us. It works out in our favor. So we've learned to trust them and lean on them. So again, I prefer to deal with things that, that can work with the majority of people, not the minority. And, and again, yeah. all of this stuff is based in science, like we said. So it's not my opinion. It's not my anecdotal evidence, right? It's study after study, been tested, been proven, which means it's reproducible, which means it's learnable. So, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm obviously uh, convinced of, of the efficacy of this. And I, it reminds me a little bit of, of when people talk about nonverbal communication, right? Some people like to dismiss things like, oh, your tone of your voice or your body language or, or whatever nonverbal cues are out there. But I think we ignore these things and, and these principles of persuasion kind of at our own peril. Because like you say, this is how we, we assimilate and work our way through the world as we have all this information bombarded uh, at us all the time. Definitely. Well, there's a reason they say people, first impressions matter, right? And Pete, you got about five seconds to make a good first impression, but it's all of those nonverbal things and influence factors that people are sensing in those five seconds for them to make their decision, even though there may be no rational thought or emotion behind it. Well, we're going to try in this interview to, to spend a few minutes uh, talking about each of these six 
principles of persuasion. It's, it's kind of ambitious for a podcast of, of this length, but maybe we can uh, kind of go through these one by one, introduce these concepts at least to our audience and, and how they might apply uh, in an orthodontic office or, or dental office. So, so the first principle we'll, we'll jump right in here is, is reciprocity and, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about what that means and, and maybe give an example of how we, how we might utilize that. Yeah, so reciprocity uh, is a principle that basically states that uh, if someone gives you a gift of value, and that gift could be a tangible gift like a gift card or a present, or it could be an intangible gift, uh, a favor or taking something off your plate or kindness, right? Uh, if someone gives you that gift of value that you really appreciate, um, then you're going to instinctively feel the need to give back, to reciprocate at some point. So if someone gives you a present on your birthday – more than likely, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to give them a present on their birthday as a result, or at a minimum, what are you going to give them? A thank you note, right? Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, we're giving something back, okay? Because society has taught us that, what do you call people who are takers, who just take, 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 and never give back? <laughs> Not good words, Mo- right? <laughs> yeah. Moochers, yeah. Mooch. yeah. I mean, Moochers, there's a, yeah. There's a ton of words for that. So there's a lot of society pressure on us to reciprocate. Um, so that, that's the key. Uh, so if we f- can figure out things and, and one of the ways we know we've given the patient a gift of value in our practice, let's say a great experience is that they tell us and thank us for that experience and say something positive at the end of it. Like, Oh, wow. I can't believe we're done already. Or that's it. Man, you guys are fantastic. I didn't even feel that. Okay. Those are all compliments and thank yous and acknowledgements that whether you realize it or not, you gave them a true gift. You know, so I had a patient came in and, uh, you know, we fit her in for a filling on number eight, like in the size of ledge kind of thing. She had chipped it and I worked through lunch for her and, and it looked great and didn't take me long, like 20 minutes. And she paid me for the thing. But you know what? She genuinely thanked me for getting her in that day, taking care of her problem and getting it done in an efficient way because she was a real estate agent, had a meeting with other people that afternoon and, and thanked me for it, even though she paid me for it. But I realized that was a gift. So I said, hey, my pleasure. Oh, and by the way, would you mind doing a Google review for me and telling other people about that story? Because I'd love for them to know that's how we take care of people. And within 30 seconds of her leaving her office, boop, I get an alert. Google review. Done. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so we have these things, these opportunities all day long. We just don't recognize them for what they are. And if we just turned around and asked for something simple, many times we're likely to get a yes as a result. Yeah, and and I've heard you talk about this as as the moment of power, and mm-hmm. and, and there's some factors that you can do to increase the likelihood of of that reciprocity principle being in effect. Yeah, yeah. So, example, like what I would say, uh, I have a whole uh, referral specialist program that I uh, use for my call tracking service um, to help them get more referrals. So, orthodontist, periodontist, endodontist doesn't matter. But so, let's say you had a couple of your clients out there, good clients, medium clients, who send some referrals and people that don't send any referrals or maybe they're just new to the area and you don't have a relationship yet. Uh, so one of the things you can do is to try to give them a gift of value to let them know about your office. And and one of the things I know a lot of docs rec, uh, love is when you gift them a free mobile car wash. So you get a mobile car wash guy to go out to their office and wash the doc's car and the whole team's car as a gift from your office. And you've got your, your person from your team representing you telling them about the gift. Here's the car wash guy. He'll take care of everyone. Oh, and here's our uh, referral pads. Hey, if you have anybody in the future who needs a good orthodontist, would you consider thinking of us? And they're going to say, wow, yeah, okay, fantastic. Okay, and you'll automatically set the stage for more people to start referring because that's usually a gift that most of the people would value. 
as a result. So absolutely, yeah, that's that's an awesome example. Cool, good. Well, let's get in some of these other ones here. Uh, the second principle is the principle of liking, and you know we we tend to do business uh, here with with people that we like and and people that like us and and maybe people who are also similar to us. Tell us a little bit more about about liking and and how that influences people in their decision-making. Yeah, that's exactly what liking is all about. You know, we like to do business with people like us, um, you know, with friends, you know, with people who like us as well. So similarities, common interests, common hobbies, backgrounds, you know, like we mentioned from the get-go, you went to Chapel Hill, I went to Chapel Hill, right? Just (laughs) automatically, if we've got nothing else to talk about, we've got a bond right there. We've got a relationship we can start building just from that fact alone, okay? But many times we, we as clinicians tend to get involved and we get busy and we just want to open the rip open their lips and get in there, you know, without taking the time to find out and some simple little things about them before we get down to the business at hand. Um, so let's find and, and stop and try to find at least one thing we have in common with people before we start talking about their mouth <laughs> and their medical issues yeah. or their dental issues, et cetera. Uh, I mean, small little things go a long way. You know, I had one patient who, uh, we had the same birthday. And on the surface, you would have thought that we, there was, we had nothing in common uh, of me and this female patient. And I didn't know what I was going to talk about. And I just thought, well, well, I guess I'll go in there and figure it out. And I look on a medical history form, and lo and behold, we have the exact same birthday. So I asked her, I was like, hey, let me ask you something. Are, are you born, you know, were you born October 14th, 1976? She goes, yeah, actually I was. And I was like, so was I. We're birthday buddies. You know, give me five, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we spent, I mean, it's so simple, but we spent the next 20 minutes talking about our birthdays and she lit up like a Christmas tree and guess who left my office that day with a treatment plan scheduled for, you know, with her $12,000 treatment plan, my birthday buddy. I, that's such a great example too, because I mean, on the surface, like you said, that's almost like a nothing thing. I mean, there, there, there's, there's really so little there, but even that small connection was enough to just kind of jumpstart that relationship. Yeah. And so from an orthodontist standpoint, you have a twofold problem with this. You have to get, you know, set the stage for the child to like you, but also the decision maker, the parent. Okay. So you have to work this from two different angles as well. So with the kids, find out what kind of shows they like. And, you know, if you've got kids like I have two boys that are seven and 10, I can, there's not many kids I can't relate to in some way, shape or form. Either the TV shows they're watching, if they like video games, their favorite sports teams, there's always something you can bring up that you, that, you have in common and that they don't realize that you have in common. Okay. So you should see their face light up when you're like, Oh, you like, uh, that TV show. You know, I love that TV show. You know, my kids love that TV show too. Uh, and then you do the same with the parents as well. You know, try to find at least one thing you have in common before you get down to the business at hand. Yeah. How, how would you recommend Chris, if, if, you know, you want to compliment a patient, you know, we, we want them to feel like we, we do like them and we, uh, we want to, you know, give them a compliment. We don't want it to come off as as flattery or or, or kind of weird or uncomfortable. Uh, any any advice on on how to indicate to them that that we do like them and and we 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 want them to feel good about being in our office? Yeah, well, that's part of liking, right? We like those who like us and tell us, who praise us, and compliment us. Um, so if you think it might be an awkward situation, like if it's me talking to another guy, then it's not going to be awkward. So if I like their watch or I really like something about them or what they're wearing, I'm going to say it, you know, uh, if it's more of a female patient, then I may feel a little weird by doing that, but you can, you can praise people behind their backs. <laughs> and so what you can do is you can kind of let your team member know, Oh, so-and-so is coming in. Oh, I love it. When they come in, we always have a great time or they always dress so nice or so sharp and let your team member 
praise them and say, hey, you know, before Doc comes in, I just want to let you know, we were talking about you at the morning meeting, the morning huddle. And he said he loves it when you come in. He just, you, you guys always have a great time. He loves your conversations. He loves your outfits. He thinks you're just sharply dressed. But then it's not coming from you, right? Yeah. And it still has the same influence power. Okay. They still feel like it was you telling them that. And it makes them feel good. And they know you like them. Um, we use that Banyan service. Uh, we take pictures with them. If you ask people to take pictures with them, you're telling them that you like them. Cause we don't take pictures with people we don't like, do we? <laughs> no. So <laughs> no. let's, let's get their picture together. Hey, mom, get over here with the kid. Let's do this. You know, here's a cute little son. Uh, and then we can leverage that and share that with the parents and they'll share that on social media. And there's all kinds of ways you can use that stuff and leverage it. Uh, but taking pictures with them, that's a way to show them that you like them. Well, let's keep moving here. Uh, our, our third principle is social proof. And yep. I'm assuming that means more than just kind of a busy waiting room. Um, what, how do people use social proof to, to make decisions? Well, this is one of the most powerful uh, online advertising principles that there is. Okay, This influences more people to respond to a marketing piece than anything else. So it's the evidence. When times are uncertain, especially when they really don't know where they should go or who they should choose, they look to the evidence of what others are doing to show them what they should be doing. And so it's a matter of they don't want to feel like they're the first one out there, like they're all alone. Uh, imagine a fish swimming by itself in the water, you know, being all alone. What tends to happen? What's the fish afraid of if it's swimming by itself? Here comes the big old shark. <laughs> you know, bad things yep. are going to happen. Instead, they want to see that they're part of a school of fish, that there's a group just and especially a group just like them has even more influence power. So what you want to do is you got to show evidence. So if you've got done a ton of before and after cases, you got to show them that. So those should be before and after should be like painted canvases. You know, you can get pictures into these like pieces of art now uh, and put them all in your waiting room. Okay. So when people are walking in and seeing it for the first time, they're like, good Lord, look at all the cases this office has done. I guess I'll be safe getting my work done here too. Uh, you got to put all that on your website, your, you know, group testimonials together. So they see, look at all the people that said nice things about this place. Uh, if your, your chairs are always packed at any given time, get those kids together in a group and take a group photo with them all. You can use some things like, uh, I use a service called Buzzy Doc, uh, which is like a rewards based system. So it's like everybody gets reward points for doing what we want them to do, like showing up for their appointment or whatever. And the kids in the ortho field love it, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. and it really helps keep, uh, compliance for their appointments and whatnot and make sure they're brushing right. Here's some points. Then they can turn those in for gift cards. Well, you can share that picture with them and ask them to post that on their social media pages to their friends if they're older, right? And reward them for that fact with the point system thing. But that's promoting you and that's social proof. When their friends see where their friends are going, when it's their time to go to their braces, who are they going to choose? Well, I'm going to go where my friends went, you know? Yep. Um, so that's how you can really leverage social proof and consensus in today's marketplace. You got to show others the evidence of what you've done. That they're not alone. I was wondering if there was a way that we could use social proof or this concept of, of kind of sticking with the crowd to help our patients with kind of the cooperation or compliance. You know, as, as orthodontists, we're always asking for them to, to, to brush their teeth and to wear their elastics and to not eat these foods that are going to damage their braces. How would we apply this to try to get them on board with the concept of being a, a great orthodontic patient? Yeah, well, to use consensus information, what you would need to figure out and to be ethical, get your data. How many of your clients and patients are doing the behavior? Is it the majority? 
And if you can put a number to it, it just sharpens the effect even more. But so let's say you did you you did a survey of a hundred kids and and uh, that came in and you know ninety out of a hundred do what they're supposed to do. They brush their teeth, the brackets don't come off, they don't because they're not eating their own foods, what have you. Um, then all you have to do is just report that data back to those in the minority. <laughs> you know, when the minority, when you shine a light on the minority and tell them that they're in the minority, without you having to do anything else, that alone most often is enough to influence two-thirds of them to come over to the majority side and fall in line and do the same behavior. So if it's 70%, yeah. doesn't matter, as long as it's the majority. So you can even put up a sign when they're brushing their teeth or wherever they're going to see it and says, hey, over 78% of our patients, you know, can get your number. Uh, don't eat foods they're not supposed to. They brush like they're supposed to. They, you know, list all the things that they do uh, that you want this person to do. And just by reading that, they're going, geez, how many people do what they're supposed to? Huh, okay, I guess I should too. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, yeah, that's what I need to tell them. Like you say, you have to kind of actually figure out what your number is. But, you know, 86% of our patients wear their elastics, and that's why they finish on time and have beautiful smiles, something like that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, keep it ethical. You get your real data and find your number. and You can track that, right? So just from visits. So do it over a month, and then you'll have your data. As long as it's the majority, report it. And you, don't, and you won't have to say another thing. The sign will say everything for you. Yeah, I, I think that's a powerful principle. Cool. Let's talk a little bit about the next one, authority. This is another way that you know people make decisions when, when they're uncertain about things is, is they look to sources of authority. So what's the best way for us to, to demonstrate that uh, in our office? Uh, well, they, people look for two types of authorities. They want credible authorities and they want trustworthy authorities. Um, so one of the ways you can, you can build your authority is by showing them that you've had some education, <laughs> you know, so many times we often hide our diplomas and certificates and all the academy memberships and certain things we're in, uh, in our office. And they're not out where people are meeting us for the first time, which is where it matters most. Uh, so get them out there, right? So they should be in your waiting room. They should be in each of the operatories, you know, every certificate, every award, every, whatever you've got, every diploma. Uh, from the college, undergrad to dental school, et cetera. Uh, just a simple thing like that shows them and presents you as an authority. So I think with the authority principle, we spend too much time trying to convince people why we are the right office or the right dentist for them to do their work. Or in this case, the right orthodontist, right? And, and what happens when you try to tell someone how good you are? <laughs> it doesn't really go the way you want it to, right? It's not taken that way. So instead, we let we got to let these other things do that for us. And so if they see all this training you've had staring at you on the wall, you're going to go, they're going to think, wow, okay, this guy's had some schooling. He really must know what he's talking about when he tells me my kid needs to do this early interceptive ortho now or whatever it is. Okay. It's yep. just going to give more credibility and weight to what you're telling them. So they're more likely to say yes. How do you build the trust factor? Well, that's through testimonials, your patient testimonials and kids that have gone through this and what they've said about you builds your trust that presents you the trustworthy side as well. So make sure your patients are, are giving you these stories in written form or in video form and making sure new people are seeing that. Okay. That's going to influence them and build you, uh, build your authority. Yeah. Uh, you could get on things like uh, Nextdoor or your, your neighborhood Facebook group and, and be the authority there in the sense of offer free orthodontic advice. And anytime somebody has an orthodontic question, post it to the group and answer it. And give them a, a good content and quality content. Answer their question uh, without being promotional. And what you, what I've been finding is I've been doing that. And now these people, when you start answering their questions, they look to you as the expert now. 
And then after once they look at you with the expert in this form, as soon as they have a dental problem, guess where they're going? Well, I'm going to the the expert. expert. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a simple little thing you can do that doesn't cost you anything but time, but it can pay you dividends on the marketing side as well. Yeah. And I think the way that we communicate that to the patients is important. And I know some orthodontists kind of have these these new patient packets. And like you say, I think a lot of the time that's focused on on this why choose us question. And instead, maybe it could be, you know, about the credentials of our uh, team or about our doctor. Uh, You know, there's a couple of uh, friends I have who are orthodontists who've who have written consumer facing books. And so now they're the author of this book and they're going to give the book to their uh, potential patients. So I think there, there are kind of creative ways that we can communicate that authority to our patients. Yeah, exactly. Other items, other people, other things can do that for you. You know, books are one of those authority triggers. Uh, the white coat, believe it or not, is an authority trigger. Just the word doctor automatically has some authority built into the title because of the doctor title itself, because uh, of what you had to go through to get that title, you know? So, yeah, there's all kinds of things like that you can leverage. Cool. Cool. All right. So, principle number five, consistency. Uh, this one's a little bit trickier to understand, but does that refer to the, our consistency or, or people's kind of internal consistency? What, what are the ways that we, that we think about consistency in terms of influence? Yeah. So, I want you to think commitments. And, and this principle is the number one reason behind the majority of the problems in, in most practices. Uh, mine included. And and it goes back to commitments. So the idea is if you can get someone to make a real commitment about something, to take a stand on an issue or whatever, there's a lot of external and internal pressure on them to stay consistent and follow through and do with what they said they were going to do. People want to be consistent with themselves and be viewed as consistent to others in their behavior. So the way to flip it is think of it the opposite way. What do you call someone who's inconsistent, who doesn't do what they say they're going to do? consistently <laughs> right what do we have any good words for them no okay you know yeah. liar is a, is a popular one right if you don't right. do what you said you were going to do and nobody wants to be viewed that way hence the external pressure so there's external and internal pressure the problem is we don't really get real commitments out of people and so we wonder why they don't show up for their appointment they really didn't commit to it uh that we wonder why they didn't refer someone or why they didn't pay their bill or do what they were supposed to because truthfully they didn't commit to it they didn't feel like they had a choice, number one. A voluntary commitment is one of the ones we need to get. People always need to feel like they have a choice, okay? Um, number two, it's got to be active. It's got to come out of their mouth. They got to write it down or what? They got to put money into it. Could put a skin in the game. Yeah. Those are active commitments. And it's got to be public knowledge. The more people that know you said you were going to do this, well, guess what? The more likely you are to do it <laughs> as well. Uh, so it's all about getting them to commit to the behavior that we're going to be asking them for, or at least co- commit to a mindset that falls in line with the behavior we're going to ask them for. So example is one of the things I try to do in my new patient questionnaire is I ask commitment style questions in a choice format. Okay. So I'm defining who my ideal patient is in my qu- new patient questionnaire. And this person is usually choosing the answer more likely to fall in line with that. And then I'm going to tie their treatment back to their answers, to whatever commitments they made. So I'll say something like, are you a proactive person or are you a reactive person? Because most people are one or the other, right? Yeah. You either want to avoid problems and issues and pay more money down the road, or you're reactive, meaning I'll wait till the shit hits the fan. (laughs) Okay. Right. Uh, Even if it costs me more time, money, and energy down the road. Uh, Most You're one or the other. So which is it? So most people, though, when you ask them that, because one has a more positive connotation, one has more of a negative one, 
are going to pick the positive one, which is proactive. Okay, so Mrs. Jones, I see you're a proactive kind of person. Is that correct? That's true. Well, you see, your little Timmy's crowding here, and you know he's only age six. <laughs> so this isn't going to get better. This is just going to get worse. He's, it doesn't look like he's going to have room in his jaw for these teeth. So if we don't do something soon, here's what's going to happen. And you can go right into it, right? And tie it back to if you're proactive and want to avoid this, let's move forward. Otherwise, here's what we have to look forward to. But they're choosing it every step of the way. That's the key. They're defining it for themselves. And all we're really doing with these principles is, is reframing people's perspective to make their dental need a dental want. That's it. Because people make their decisions by comparing and contrasting things in their life. And so if given the choice, dentistry, their need, people don't pay money for what they need. They pay money for what they want. So if we can reframe that perspective and make their dental need a dental want, they will then reprioritize that in their life and figure out a way to get it done. One way, step sure. away. One in one, one sure. way, shape or form, I should say. So what, what, what's another example of this? You said this is the biggest problem. Like how, how would you apply this to like broken or missed appointments? Yeah. So one of the things I did for my team was get them to start using more consistency language when confirming appointments on the telephone. And this is one of the ways I got my no-show rates to go down from 13% down to 3% without really costing me any money. And, and it comes down as simple as even doing this. When we normally make an appointment, what's the last thing we say before they leave? Oh, and by the way, please call us if you need to cancel or reschedule. Thanks. Click. We make a statement, don't we? Yep. Well, instead, if we just change one little thing and say, hey, will you please call us if you need to cancel or reschedule your appointment? Make it a question and wait for that person to say yes or no. What are they going to say? Yeah, I'll do that for you. Okay, great. We're looking forward to seeing you. I'll tell you what, I'll let everybody know here at the front that you're going to call us if you need to cancel or reschedule this appointment. We're looking forward to seeing you. Thanks. (laughs) So now everybody knows you said you were going to do that. And what it's going to do is it's, unless there's really a serious life event, this is going to be more of your priority to show up now because you got more of that active commitment and we made it more public because everybody knows you said you're going to do it. Or at least they're going to call you because in my mind, I don't care if they can't make it. I would just don't no show on me, you know, at least give me a chance to fill it with somebody else. Um, yeah, I don't care if, if you call me, but just don't leave me hanging, <laughs> you know, that's right. So that's a very simple way to get that consistency question, but they had a choice. Will you do it? Because you're either going to do it or you're not, right? <laughs> yes or no? Yeah. Cool. I love that. That's that's a great example. All right. Lastly, we've got scarcity. I think we we all know this. You know, trying to we're all trying to order the iPhone 10 right now. So so we all know that scarcity yeah. uh, drives demand here. Tell us a little bit more about uh, how that might apply in a dental office. Yeah. You know. Well, scarcity is about resources, right? When resources are dwindling, suddenly we don't want it until we can't get it. And we can't get it like the iPhone 10. We want it more and we'll pay more to get it. Uh, that's why when the first iPhone came out, you know, it was six or 700 bucks here in the States, but people were putting them on eBay and selling them for four or $5,000 each uh, because the people in Russia wanted it and they couldn't get it, but they would pay through the nose to be the first in Russia to get one. Okay. Uh, so that's what scarcity is about. When resources are limited, we want it more and we'll pay more to get it. But it's also about uniqueness when you're the scarce resource. Okay. Uh, you need to highlight that fact. So you know, like in my marketing, I tell people I'm one of three offices in the entire state of North Carolina that offers every level of sedation for our patients. So it's not just oral sedation. It's nitrous and IV and nitrous and oxygen and uh, Valium. It's uh, oral sedation. We do IV sedation and have an anesthesiologist that comes in and does uh, general sedation in the office. 
Okay, so we do true sleep dentistry. Uh, and there's not a handful of offices in the whole state that do that. Well, that makes me scarce, right? So I highlight that to other people and tell them I'm the scarce resource. Uh, if you're taking off time, you know, usually you hide that fact. You don't tell people you're going to be closed. But the reality is if you're taking off a week for Christmas, you should let people know that now. Send out an e-blast and say, FYI, this, you know, next month we're going to be gone the last week of the month. We have limited appointments available until then, so give us a call if you need to get in. And what that's going to sure. do is it's going to motivate those who have been thinking they needed to call but have been waiting for some motivation to get off the fence and get in now. And you'll actually be slammed in the next three weeks, probably produce more uh, than you would have otherwise and make up for the fact that you took a week off. You know, um, you can give specials and limit the specials. Maybe you're going to do a uh, whatever. If you do Invisalign teen or if you're going to do a special on brackets, you could say, hey, I got I like to do little contests and do like a smoking deal for one person and just say, all right, I'm doing, you know, this month we're going to have a special. Uh, I'm going to give somebody a thousand dollars off their treatment, whatever that is. OK, and it's good for the first two people who call and and those first two people get a great deal. But the, the third, fourth through 15th person that calls and they say, hey, can I get it? No, sorry, we gave out the thousand. But I tell you what, I do have a couple of $250 off specials. Will that work for you? Or I have a gift card for 250 bucks off. Will that work for you? And you offer them a concession, yeah. you know, right? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it's getting something is better than getting nothing at that point. So, yeah. you know, you, you maintain your ethics by giving away the two you said you would, but you can give away an unlimited number of 500s or 250s or whatever amount you want. And you'll get more cases closed without giving away as much in a discount over the whole. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that concept of limited quantity versus like, you know, this month, you know, if you, if you limit your quantity, like one example would be I, that, I, that I was thinking about was, you know, saying, you know, if, if parents of existing orthodontic patients, if they want to get like Invisalign or something, yeah, uh, I think that would be yeah. a good time to use it. Say, if 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 you're a parent of a, of an existing patient and you want to get started with Invisalign, you know, for the first five people or two people or whatever, um, you know, you could run some sort of promotion, and and I think that would, you know, I think that would really activate this kind of scarcity uh, principle for for people. Definitely, and just be prepared to offer those something uh, as a backup plan. Yeah, or from number three on, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right, so to review, we've got reciprocity, we've got the principle of liking, social proof, authority, uh, consistency, which which you like to call commitments, and then uh, finally scarcity. And I'm assuming, Chris, that these things in combination kind of act like multipliers? They do. Uh, not every situation is going to have all of them present, uh, but every situation has at least one of them. And the more that are present that you are in that situation that you recognize and tap into, the more they amplify each other and the more power is present. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, I want to tell our listeners too that, that you know, we have just scratched the surface of this. We've been kind of flying through these, but if, if people want to learn more about this, they should really go back. They should read this book uh, or any of Dr. Chaldini's work or attend one of Dr. Phelps's events if they really want to, want to get in deep with this. But before we sign off, Chris, I want to ask you a little bit more. You mentioned about uh, the phone monitoring system kind of that you developed and I think that's an issue for every dental practice. How do we think about, you know, keeping track of what's going on with our phones? How does this help our marketing or, or staff training to really be connected to what's going on with our phones? Yeah, well, the first part I like to tell people is if you're not tracking your phone calls right now, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> and, and we cannot, I mean, I love our teams, 
don't get me wrong, but you can't trust them as far as you can throw them because it's, it's not human nature to shoot yourself in the foot. So do you think your team would ever come to you and say, oh, sorry, Doc, I didn't answer half your phone calls last month from new patients? <laughs> or, well, I really just was horrible at closing. You know, I only got two out of 15 appointments, my bad. <laughs> right? They're going to yeah. say, you know, this is what my team was telling me too. Hey, how many calls did we get from that radio ad? They're like, yeah, we got a couple. Well, after tracking it, I realized we had 20 calls from that ad. We didn't answer 12 of them, and we only scheduled two of the eight we talked to. So that's what the couple of calls. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, you're right. They're not going to bring that to you and, and no. suggest you you hire no. a different front desk person. Yeah, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? And so I say, well, let's if there's a problem or not, let's at least find out, number one. And so I built the service to be an accountability piece, to keep the people we pay good marketing money to accountable for what we're paying them. Are they bringing in quality leads who spend enough to justify the expense? Or is it the other side of the coin? Is it our team's not answering and not converting? And I think I shared with you, the average office we track doesn't answer a third of their marketing-based new patient phone calls, so calls they paid to get. Uh, and when they do answer, they're only converting 34% of those into appointments. So it's pretty atrocious. And you know, and that's not just in general dentistry, too. That's periodontal groups we're tracking. That's oral surgery groups we're tracking. And God bless them, it's the endodontic groups we're tracking. I mean, if the endos, if you can't get somebody who, in who's in pain, I mean, good Lord, what is going on with that phone call? Uh, it's, it's bad across the spectrums, right? Uh, so find out what the problem is and then you can do something about it. And and that's kind of what I developed the golden goose scheduling service for was if, if you are having a problem, maybe you, you, you can't answer all your phone calls for whatever reason. And the team's just slammed. They can't do anything about it. It's not their fault. Well, my team can be like two more front desk people for you tie right into your, your service and we can schedule them on your behalf. Uh, my team is converting 89%. Every month, actually 89.6, we're almost 90 across all of our clients right now. So I know we're going to help our clients answer more phone calls and we're going to schedule better than almost everybody, uh, which means more new patients for what you're already spending your money on. Um, so if you're having trouble with conversions, you're having trouble opening, at least number one, find out the problem. I do have some tools to help you with that, to solve it on your own if it's possible. And if you're still having troubles, I've got a solution for that too. So, Yeah, give, give us the websites for those, Chris. Yeah, it's a call tracker, R-O-I, all one word, dot com, and golden goose scheduling, dot com. Okay. And then my, my, influ- and my influence workshops, uh, my two, cause I spent two whole days going through this, uh, and there's even so many more systems and things I could teach you and marketing stuff, how it relates to that and, um, case acceptance. Good Lord. It, I spent a lot of time on case acceptance using these things. Uh, but that's at guide, G-U-I-D-E, guide them. To yes.com. Guide them to yes.com. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, we, you know, we sure have packed a, a lot into this interview. And, and I guess if people go to these websites, there'll be information there on, on how to contact you if they have more questions. Yep, there will be. And uh, I, I'm on the Facebook group. So yeah, feel free to tag me yes. with a question. Yes. And I'm happy to uh, answer that for you. Yeah, Dr. Phelps is going to be available in our Elevate Orthodontics Facebook group to answer questions. So yeah, just, just post in there and, and tag him with any uh uh, follow-up questions that you have. Thank you so much, Chris. This has just been just jam-packed. I, I feel like I'm I'm doing the interview, and I'm going to go back and listen to it because you just packed in so much information. So <laughs> I've, I've had a blast. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. I hope we get to talk again soon, but uh, in the meantime, uh, have a good night, and we will talk to you later. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. 
For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode. 